بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم ما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala we seek blessings on the Prophet peace be upon him can you all hear me clearly yes okay very good all right time to go mama you go outside let's go so we had the the discussion uh, yesterday about fist so shameless shameless rebellion and today we're sort of completing this subsection that we're in and let me just find i lost my internet give me one second here so we're going to be looking at ayahs 28 and 29 of the second surah Once again, hold on. Uh, apologies, I'm having not technical difficulties, but technical confusion. <laughs> I used to I used to work in IT, and it's amazing how little I I I now know about how basic things work. Um, okay. If uh, I'm trying to uh, share my screen. <laughs> Sorry, wait, I'll be with And I can't find the screen sharing button. I've literally lost all possible computer skills. What if I do this? Nope. Oh, yes. Magic. The magic of technology. Okay, here it is. So... <clears throat> Ayah 28, how can you reject Allah when you are lifeless and he brought you to life and he will cause you to die? Then he will bring you back to life and to him you will return. So, so to give you an idea of the context of, of what's being stated in this whole subsection, let me just give a quick review of... of the different subsections of what we've been covering in the Surah. So this, this is a, um, a list that I made uh, many classes ago. So in Al-Baqarah, this section that I call the introduction. So Ayah 1 was sort of on its own. It's Alif Lam Mim. And then I two through twenty. Are models of belief and rejection. And the section we are in right now. Are foundational concepts and commands. And then the last section will be origins. 
So that'll be the story of Adam and Eve. Peace be upon them. The accursed devil. Okay, <clears throat> so foundational concepts and commands. So far, we've been looking at it from the perspective of commands. And, and so now to take this point a step further, so these foundational concepts So when we look at Surah, uh, or the Surah 2, we have not only the first command, right, but also that Allah is the creator of all. He created you as he created those before you. And also, we have a first step to developing taqwa. Uh, can someone remind us how we translated taqwa in, in this course? This would have been probably about two or three weeks ago. It would have been, you know, 19 eyes ago. Righteousness? People? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is correct. Conscious of God, with uh, having okay, a conscience of God all the time. Closer, closer. Yes, yes. Almost there. Every action, believe. I don't. That's how I like. <laughs> now you're just saying things like you know you're on twenty five thousand dollar pyramid. Uh, <laughs> so shielding yourself with Allah. That's how we were translating way back then. And then shielding yourself with Allah means that you're being conscious of Allah all the time. Yes. So you're almost there. And then <clears throat> in Ayah twenty two. Allah created the world to serve us. And second command, which was don't make rivals to Allah. And then in 23, <coughs> We had the issue of the prescription for doubt. And what did it say at the beginning? If you have doubt about what we have sent down to our servant. And so what else are we saying here? That Allah sent the Quran to the Prophet. These parts we may not notice as much because we take them as obvious. But what I'd like you to see is how, as we go through the section, the foundational concepts are also laid out in, in uh, a reasonable or a sense, uh, an order that makes sense. And then 24, we have the completion of the prescription for doubt. And we talk about hell. Hell fueled 
fueled with and prepared for. Rejectors. Okay. And then, <clears throat> and let me know if I'm going too fast. I have 25. Wait, can we, we go back a little bit? Sorry. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let me know when I can move forward. Rejectors. Okay. Yes. Okay. Got it. Okay. 225. We have the third command. And we have paradise. For those who believe and do right. So notice Hell is prepared for the rejectors. Paradise is prepared for those who believe and do right. So if I, you know, if I am a believer and my actions are not right actions, then A, uh, chances are I'm not going to go to paradise, right? Becoming a Muslim is not a free ticket to go straight to paradise. And B, my actions will reveal what I really believe anyway. So I might tell others and I might even tell myself that I'm a believer, but my actions are showing that my actual belief is something else. We've been taught that eventually all Muslims go to heaven. Go to so so uh, that is very much a standard mainstream belief. But keep the point in mind that uh, many will go by way of hell. So think right. of it from the perspective. From conceptually, yeah, that the belief is that at the very least, Muslims are all going to go to paradise. There's a difference of opinion about whether or not others are going to go to paradise as well, eventually. Uh, but uh, when we put it to practice, then think about, right, if you had uh, the option of, of standing in a burning fire, for years, you know, would you would you take that choice? You know, obviously not. But but as a principle, yes, that's that's a, a thank you, Dominion. But as a principle, that's a, that's absolutely mainstream belief. I twenty six. What do we have? We have uh, Allah uh, um, guiding through all levels. Meaning nothing is beneath Allah, not even a bug. Okay. And <clears throat> we also have what? Rejectors do not care. Okay. Or they mock. And then what else do we have? The basic belief that a believer has towards the Quran, which is what? Basic belief about Quran. That it's the truth? That it is the truth. It is truth. Okay. So whether I know what it means or not, it is truth. 
And then the last part is Allah does not misguide anyone. So Allah's default relationship with everyone is guidance. Except the Fasik. Again, a point that I have to make periodically in these classes, when you're seeing these attributes like a hypocrite or a, or a, a Fasik, a shameless rebel, don't go up to your friends and say, you're a hypocrite. I study this in class. You know, uh, I've had students do that. And let's just say you don't make friends very fast that way. And then we have attributes of hypocrite or attributes of the faucet. Which is misconduct in all their different relationships. Misconduct with God, misconduct with family, and then misconduct in society. That's what we've covered so far in this subsection of this. Now. Question. With um, yesterday, you said we're all uh, born um, was conscious. It? conscious, right? Yeah, we're all born in fitra. Yeah. So then, what do you say to the science that says you know psychopaths and sociopaths are born without a conscious, or so, that uh, children so, that have no conscious? Okay, so that's a conscience. conscience. I'm talking about consciousness. And but uh, like not, okay. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so someone like a like a psychopath, I'd suggest that's a physiological condition. And so, their default would still be that innately, they are they are innately good and upright, but their physiology is more powerful and leads them to horrendous things. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You know, like in the same way, just being a man makes you awesome. <laughs> Suddenly, everyone the internet crashes. Okay, anyway, so <laughs> so attributes of a fossic, the core, the repeated attributes are misconduct. So now, what do we see today? We saw basic, uh, ultra basic arguments for belief. So this is the, the ayah that we just read. How can you reject Allah? You were dead. He brought you to life. You're going to die again and then get returned to him. Okay. So we're going to explore that now. Uh, may I go to the next slide or does anybody still need this? Everyone's good? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the, at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, did the Quraysh, the people who are opposing the Prophet, peace be upon him, did they believe in Allah? What do you think? Yes. Yes. Yeah, they absolutely did. What was the name of the Prophet's father? Abdullah. Abdullah. Yeah, Abdullah, servant of Allah. So they absolutely did. They believed in Allah as a supreme being. And a point we made early on in the semester is that the default belief of the people of Mecca was actually monotheism. 
it was actually Islam, whatever it would have been in the language of Prophet Ibrahim, peace be upon him. Because <laughs> what was, uh, who first built the Kaaba? Adam. Yeah, so the Kaaba was first built by Adam, peace be upon him. Then it's washed away during the flood. It's rebuilt by Ibrahim and his son Ismail, peace be upon them. And so it was a house of worship of God. And then a thousand, a couple thousand years later, you have one of the leaders of the Quraysh, uh, uh, was named Amr bin Lu'ayy. He is introducing idol worship into, into uh, uh, Arabia. And just to repeat again, what was the story? These are merchants. He is traveling up to what is modern day Syria. And he saw that the people in Syria were, were praying to statues. And he asked them, you know, what are you doing? And they said, these statues help us get closer to God. So he asked them, can you give me a statue to take home with me? So they gave him a statue, an idol called Hubal. And he brings that home. And in Mecca, in front of the Kaaba, he announces, this is now whom we are going to worship as a way to get closer to Allah. It's about 300 years before the Prophet, peace be upon him, before he was born. So according to our calendar, it's around the year 300. What was it? Uh, Amr bin Lu'ay. Sometimes you'll see it written as Luhai. So he announces this is now the God of the Kaaba. And over the course of the next nine or so generations before the birth of the Prophet, peace be upon him, then the different clans within the Quraysh and the different tribes across the Arabian Peninsula started appointing idols as their own gods. Not unlike the way in today's world, everyone has their own flag, right? Your flag is sacred. And so they had idols representing them. And then they also created like this whole superstructure. You have Allah at the top, and then you have these particular daughters of Allah, Alat, Manat, and Uzzah. And, and then you have these other sub-idols that people would, would, would worship. And so they would keep the idols in the Kaaba. And part of their annual pilgrimage was to come make pilgrimage to their particular idols. So the point I'm making is that the original religion of the people of Mecca was Islam. Idol worship was an innovation. And so the people of the Quraysh, they still believed that the Kaaba was built by Abraham and, and Ishmael, by Ibrahim and Ismail. They still had that belief. And so they even had the belief that their original religion was what the prophet, peace upon him, was calling them to. And so it was not an innovation. He was actually calling them back to their old religion. <clears throat> and still they were resisting for, for, for uh, uh, various reasons. And so they still had a belief in Allah. And so if you were to ask them, okay, who created you? They would say, Allah created us. Uh, they didn't have as much belief in the day of judgment, though. That when you're dead, you're dead. 
And so we have other passages in the Quran where it, it's literally is saying that you ask them who created you, they would say Allah, but then they would reject any belief um, of being resurrected and such and, and being held to account for their choices. And they also disagreed with some of the attributes of Allah that were mentioned in the Quran. I mentioned way back at the beginning, they didn't believe that Ar-Rahman was one of the attributes of Allah. Because think of how we defined it back then, that there's an aspect of God's rahmah, of his mercy for everyone. And from their view, okay, how would, you, how would someone who is part of a weaker tribe be having God's mercy? We can see God's mercy on us. We're the masters of, of the Arabian Peninsula. But what about such and such person who's part of this weak tribe? Where's their mercy? Or this other person who's ill? You know, uh, there's no mercy there. So they would reject some of the attributes of God. So that ayah that we just read is saying, okay, how can you reject God? You were dead. He brought you to life. And then it's saying, whether you believe it or not, I mean, and then you're going to die, and whether you believe it or not, you're going to be raised up back to him. Now, if we were to translate that into a modern context, what are we saying? That what does everyone still agree? Everyone still believes that they're going to die, right? I mean, every once in a while I have some undergrad that says, no, we might cure death. But otherwise, everyone else agrees that death is inevitable. So let's look at uh, atheism, you know, through this lens. If I'm saying there's no God, there's no afterlife, there's nothing in the unseen realm, then does it matter how I live my life? Meaning, if I live my life working to serve other people and I provide benefit to thousands of people and then I die from within this atheist lens, what is, what is going to happen to me? Um, you're going to become warm food. Yeah. 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 I'm going to become fertilizer. Yeah. Yeah. Next type of next person. Suppose uh, I live my whole life as a tyrant exploiting people my whole life for no particular reason, uh, and then I die, what happens to me? Same thing. Exactly the same thing. Right? And so, so then the question in this surah, in this particular ayah is, okay, if you're going to die, and if you use your argument um, that there is nothing else, then it doesn't matter how you live. Okay. But... The Quran is saying, whether you believe it or not, you are going to be resurrected and you are going to be returning to God. So this is sort of introducing uh, the idea of Pascal's wager. Dominion is smiling really big right now. Dominion, tell us what is Pascal's wager? Um, it's a wager on eternity versus non-eternity. So it's a grid. At the top, you have... Um, you have uh, believe or not believe. On the left, you have, um, what is it? Eternity or not eternity, I believe. So basically, we could say like, uh, we could say, for example, in our context, judgment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is true. Mm -hmm. Judgment 
is false. Yeah. Okay. All right. So explain it further. Well, okay. Um, so we're just going to work with 100s here and numbers. So belief okay. and judgment is true. You get 100, right? Okay. Not belief and judgment is true. You get zero. Okay. Uh, belief and judgment is false. I'm going to say you get 50. Okay. <laughs> we'll make it even and, easier in a moment. <laughs> yeah, sure. And not belief and judgment is false. You still get zero. Okay. Okay. So I will translate this to even easier language for people who are not philosophy majors. So, so what are we saying here? That if I have belief, yeah, and it turns out that the day of judgment is real, then <coughs> then I'm safe, right? And I'm happy. If judgment, if the day of judgment is true, but I don't have belief, then I'm doomed. If I have belief and there is no afterlife, then I lose nothing. All right, because I'm dead. doesn't matter how I live my life. The end result is always the same. If I don't have belief and the day of judgment is false, then what? Lose nothing as well. Yeah, you lose nothing. So the point here, what is Pascal arguing? That the safest bet, or go ahead, Summer, what are you going to say? I was going to say, you won't lose anything if you believe. Yeah. So he's saying the safest bet is to live a life of belief. So... <clears throat> After the first command, which is to be the Abd of your Rab, after the second command, you know, saying that the whole world's been created for you, don't make rivals to him. After the prescription for doubt, it, if you have doubt, to do the following. Now it's the most basic belief. So first we're addressing doubt, now we're addressing rejection of faith. And the basic point is, why are you rejecting faith? The formula of rejection of faith doesn't work that you may live your life your whole way, but you're still going to die. And whether you believe it or not, you're still going to be facing a law. So this is, this is essentially the basic argument in Ayah 28. How can you reject God? You were dead. He brought you to life, and then you're going to die again. And then you will be brought back to life, and you will return to him. And what else is being said? It's not even as simple as, okay, you're going to be safe and happy. You're missing out on the wonder of life. That the world has been created wondrous as a way to get closer to Allah. This is just the basic formula, the basic, basic argument for belief. Or the basic, basic argument against rejection of faith. That's probably a better way to put it. So, 
Oops, not against faith. Against rejection. Which then leads us to the last ayah of this subsection. Which looks sort of like a repetition of what we've already covered. <clears throat> he is the one who created for you all that is in the world. And then he shifted or he turned to the sky and he made it into seven skies and he knows all. This ayah is both an end to this subsection and it's also introducing the next subsection. So it's finishing off uh, this subsection by saying once again, he made everything and made it for us and he is all-knowing. Again, uh, something like that, those are the types of passages we often just run past because they seem like such common sense. But I'm just taking a moment to give it a little bit of attention. So, he made all for us. He knows all. And again, this is in our society, this is commonly how we speak of the divine, right? That the divine is all knowing, he's omniscient. And so that doesn't really seem all that, that uh, uh, surprising. But once again, I'd like you to consider <clears throat> all the things that are being said about Allah. He is the creator, and also that we should. Uh, take him and his commands as nourishing us. He created the world to serve us. We should not make rivals to him. And then prescription of doubt for what Allah has revealed. He is the one who sent down the Quran. And then he made hell. And then give good news of reward from Allah <clears throat> about this paradise that he has made for them. He guides at all levels and then he does not misguide anyone except for the people of, of, of shameless rebellion. And then here we have that Allah Ta'ala is the source of life. Source of life and death. And then he made everything for us. He knows all. So the point to think about, <clears throat> that's actually the foundation of the text, not what we are supposed to do, but who is Allah. That was what we discussed all the way at the beginning of the course, that how do I develop, we said central is this idea of connection. The first connection is to Allah. How do we get to know Allah? By getting to know his attributes. And that's been one of the recurring threads throughout this whole material. And so <clears throat> we'll stop right here, but I just want to introduce the next topic our last big topic, origins. So this is gonna be the story of Adam and Eve, PC upon him and the accursed devil. And so we have a number of characters in our story. We have Allah, we have angels, we have jinns, we actually have not talked about before, but for undergrads, that is their single favorite topic, not including 
you know, is my meat okay? And is, you know, am I going to get into med school? And um, will I get married? Three M's and a J. Okay. And humans. Okay. <clears throat> uh, in fact, let's stop here. Uh, we'll, we'll fill up this chart uh, tomorrow, inshallah. Any questions or thoughts about uh, anything that we've covered or anything not covered? I, uh, I have a question. Would people like um, Asra Nomani, are you familiar with her? Very, yeah. Is she considered a Fossic? I mean, uh, I'm cautious against uh, pointing that finger at anybody in particular. Although, uh, you know, having said that, uh, I think uh, not too many people would disagree if we said that the behavior of a Fossic, right, where you're just flaunting your sins sounds like the president of the United States. Right, yes. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm cautious to say that about, about other people, you know, that are not necessarily in power, even though the reputation is, is for being a stooges of power. You know. So then what is this movement of being a reformist? Like, what are they trying to accomplish? Well, I mean, there's different reformist movements. <clears throat> Asra Nomani doesn't really articulate much of a vision of anything. Um, uh, you know, she'll say things like we should uh, monitor Muslims and TSA and all that stuff. Uh, but she doesn't really have any depth in terms of, of what she's sharing. That's, I mean, I haven't, even, I haven't even heard anything from or about her for at least a couple of years. So I don't know what's going on with her. You know, there's a, a few other figures like Ayan Hirsi Ali, who, who tend to be very much uh, in support of the American or Western imperialist movement. Um, but in terms of reformers and reformists and such, I mean, there's, there's difference. There's, there's some people who basically are trying to make Islam just completely uh, removed of anything related to faith. There are other reformers who are trying to make Islam uh, fit into their lives. And then there are those reformers who are trying to package Islam in a way that still has integrity, but has relevance to people's lives. So you find all kinds of different reformers and reformists and such. But most of the people that most of us would probably have heard of who present themselves as reformists usually don't really have much substance to what they're sharing. You know, a bunch of nice slogans. Any other questions? I do have a question and I know like, I don't know if it's an Arabic or an English saying that when you're a hammer, you see like nails. Yeah. Yeah, I know like in the mental health field, sometimes I like might try to fit things into the mental health aspect, but mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you address this. So you mentioned in the slide before how all of this is really getting to know a lot, his attributes, mm -hmm. you know, the all knowing. So I know when working with somebody who has like a lot of mis, um, uh, misattribution of, of Allah's attributes, you know, mm -hmm. or like, there's a lot out there to get me. Why, is our, why are all these things happening to me? Mm -hmm. Does he hate me? You know, so I know part of it, like from the mental health field is just helping them process their pain and, you know, validating that challenge. But what angle, like, because sometimes I think about just telling them, okay, read Allah's, you know, learn more about Allah's attributes uh, mm -hmm. might not engage them at that level. I guess, what would you recommend in terms of helping um, just rectify some of that 
emotional connection to the creator, to Allah. So, <laughs> I mean, so your work and my work obviously has a lot of overlap. And, and so on my side of things, uh, one of the first challenges is to get them to rewrite the narrative of their life, uh, especially in terms of what they internalize. And so in the second course, one of the exercises that I literally give to people in the same way in this course, one of the early exercises was to go through all your relationships and evaluate, you know, your partner relationships. In the second course, starting from I 40, there uh, I have people write the narrative of their lives. So if I said, write out your whole life uh, in 20 bullet points, okay. and then you do that, and then what would someone who doesn't know you think of your life by looking at those bullet points? And what if someone who knows you very well, what do they think of those bullet points? Like, would they say you're leaving something out or something? And then the, the goal is to rewrite the narrative to lead to gratitude. And so one of the early assignments in this course was, was the gratitude assignment that continues in the, in, in the next course. And, and so, so I'm suggesting in my experience, uh, getting people, for my side of things, getting people to go through the names of Allah uh, works if they have the capacity, uh, the willingness to embrace, you know, different attributes of Allah. Uh, more often when someone's coming to my office, um, and they're in that situation, uh, what they need is a very healthy dose of gratitude. I mean, I've, I have had some students whose lives really, really seem to be horrendously bad. You know, um, I mean, uh, a person that nobody in this class would know, I had, I had one student who, uh, who from age six to 12 uh, was repeatedly raped by her brother and her cousins, you know. And I'm talking about horrendous, horrendous things in, in, in their lives. And, you know, I've had students who are survivors of genocide and have seen and experienced horrendous things as part of the genocide, right? So there are those people uh, for whom it's more than, okay, be grateful for what you have. Uh, but most of the people who come to my office, it's, uh, uh, it's a process of getting grateful for, for all the many, many things that you have in your life then that can help uh, put in perspective, okay, where are the darknesses? You know, where's the tyranny and all that stuff? Yeah, that's very helpful. Like, Zipala, I think one of the approaches I do use is narrative therapy, mm. but I never, like, sometimes you know, sharing something can be just very profound in terms of even trying to incorporate uh, and be intentional about that spiritual interpretation in their life, um, in their narrative of their life. But yeah, mm -hmm. that's very helpful. Any other questions about anything at all? Nothing else? Um, I do have a question. Yes. Um, so in that sort of, if you're looking at it through like an Islamic perspective, how would you label or, or just like, what would your def definition for some type like of sexual abuse be well i mean uh it would be straight up haram you know it's a it's an exertion of power there are some people who do what i believe is misclassification and classify it as as essentially zina uh wrongful you know unlawful fornication and this has led to devastating consequences in the lives of many women 
So for example, I don't know if it's still in the books. I believe it is. If you, in many places in Pakistan, um, if you go to the police and say, you know, you were raped by someone outside of your family, uh, in their categorizations, it counts as a confession for unlawful fornication. And so then the woman who got raped gets in trouble, right? <clears throat> so there are some people who categorize it that way, but, uh, uh, you know, sexual violence is, is an exertion of power. And, 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 and so there's a, a professor at the University of Wisconsin. Her name is Asifa Qureshi. She wrote, like 20 years ago, she wrote an article arguing that in Islamic law, this should not be categorized as zina. This should be categorized as what we call hiraba. Hiraba would be sort of basically like violence, like almost like warlike violence that you're doing on someone. And I know it, her paper has had effect in some places, uh, but I still think it's a problem in many places. I don't know if that answers your question in terms of what you're, you know. Any other questions about anything at all? Nothing else, inshallah? Okay. We One. Will yes. Yeah, sorry about that. It's all good. Um, is there any historical evidence that you, that you probably know offhand where uh, Abraham was in the area in Arabia? I mean, there essentially uh, uh, everything that we have of anything about his existence uh, is is basically either coming from scriptural sources, or, for example, if you go to Hebron in in Palestine, you know um, Al Khalil, uh, there it's said uh, there's uh, there's uh, essentially it's a tomb with a mosque in a synagogue, maybe even a church, but a mosque in a synagogue. Um, and in the tomb uh, is said to be his grave as well as Isaac's grave. Uh, but in terms of, of, of anything else, I don't know how they would, even if they were to excavate that, I don't know how they would prove that that's him, right? And so mm -hmm. anything about his existence is literally coming from scripture. Good. I mean, one thing that's interesting uh, uh, if I was flying into Mecca, uh, anybody, what city do I land in? Easy question for the Muslims. <laughs> Jeddah. Jeddah. And what does Jeddah mean? Jeddah. Uh, say, gra like, grandparents? Yeah, grandmother. Grandmother. Why is it called grandmother? Interesting. I do not know. <laughs> There's a legend that Eve is buried there. What? Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where, I don't know if there's a spot that's considered to be where, but that's, that's the legend. Yeah. Isn't it, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Adam and Eve like 80 feet tall or something? At least he is. I don't know how tall she is. She might be a hundred feet tall. She might be 80. She might be eight, you know, Fine. but yeah, he is said to be super, super tall. Yeah. If you want, if you want to see something funny, go online and do a Google image search for, uh, it's something like Adam's shirt or his phobe. So, so a couple of Arabs got together and made what would have been his phobe. <laughs> and it's like 80 feet long. I mean, if he, if he is 80 feet tall, then I even wonder like, what would he physically look like? Is the chances are in terms of physical form, I'm guessing he'd probably look more like a dinosaur than a human. You know, in, in terms of sustaining all of that size and weight and such. 
you know. I'm not saying he's going to have a head like a dinosaur. I'm just talking about the leg part. Yeah. Any other questions about anything at all? Yes. <laughs> yesterday, um, what was it, yesterday or the day before? The conversation with the privilege. Yes. I need you to reword it better for me. To... So, so the easiest way to think about it is who is going to understand the Quran the easiest? Okay. The okay. first person who's going to understand the Quran the easiest is going to be the Prophet, peace be upon him. It's literally speaking to him directly. Okay. Second, who's going to understand the Quran the easiest is going to be Arabs, you know, especially from the generation of the Prophet, peace be upon him. It's not just in Arabic, it's in their dialect, right? Yeah. And so likewise with privilege, then who does the Quran seem to be focusing on? It's speaking to Arabs, it's Arabic. Okay, it's speaking primarily to Arabic men, Arab men. How is it speaking primarily to Arabic men? So, so Umm Salama, the wife of the Prophet, peace be upon him, even complained to him, saying, "How come it? How come the uh, the Quran is always speaking to men?" And then the Prophet, peace be upon him, received this ayah that's in Surah Al-Ahzab: "Wal mu'minina, wal mu'minat, wa qanitina, wa qanitat," so forth and so on. You know, addressing that this is for everybody. But even the wife of the Prophet is raising this 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 comment. See, you see, when I see that expression, I see a wife who's telling her husband, aha, so I can't help anymore, you know. Yeah. <laughs> True. He goes, what kind of question is that? I'm like, it's yeah. your question. I'm like, I'm How are you doing, Mahmoud? <laughs> yeah, this, me trying to explain this yesterday was a big mess for you guys. Yeah. Like, I'm my, trying to Google Translate, and that was just so bad. Even though I speak Arabi, I speak a Palestinian dialect according to... Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything is shu, everything is ba. Yeah. Shu with the hibi And we do it here and there. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling, I was telling Sabrine, uh, I was in Aqsa, this is like 13 years ago, and, and I'm talking to this old man. And he asked me where I'm from, and he probably just said something like Wayne. And I go, Amrika. And, and then he starts asking me this question, and I go, Abi Mohandas, my dad's an engineer. <laughs> like, huh? And then he asked me again, I go, Abi Mohandas. And he's confused. He asked me a third time, then he gave up. And I don't remember what the question is anymore, but I kept replaying it over and over in my head. And then I realized he was asking me, what is life like for Muslims in America? Abi Mohandas, my dad's an engineer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. So you know what actually happened even there? Like, so I started talking to the Imam of Aqsa and he was, he was amazed by my Arabic. So he actually made me, he gave a dars after Fajr. He made me go, uh, translate everything he was saying for, for the Americans there. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's okay, that's how our Arabi is now anyway. Yeah. And in fact, he, he started taking me around the old city and I could hear the moment when he's shifting from Fusha to Palestinian dialect because I'm understanding, understanding, and then all of a sudden, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, what? what are you saying now? Yeah. So, yeah. So, cool. Any other questions about anything at all? Nothing else? I have a question real yes. quick. Since oh, yeah. we're speaking about, <laughs> hi. Uh, since we're speaking about, yes, Quran uh, was written in Arabic, and I'm Bosnian originally, so I had to read translation several times of Quran to just 
have better understanding of certain suras. And of course, people spend all their lives studying this and they still write, like do research and try to go into depth of the, of the meaning. So um, I'm sure you, you read Quran in Arabic, you read it in uh, English. And when you read that, because I know that uh, Quran is definitely written perfectly, but when you read that, do you see, uh, as somebody who speaks fluent Arabic and uh, English, do you see that difference in translation? Do you feel like that we lose something? Since a lot of people don't speak Arabic, even I'm from Bosnia, like Arabic mm -hmm. is not mandatory. And I mm -hmm. have a friend who like first learn Arabic in order that they can mm -hmm. uh, read Quran and have better understanding and meaning. So uh, I, I just found it sometimes challenging even reading in Bosnian. And I have feeling like sometimes really something, they're trying to really translate, but it's always hard. But it's, it's, really, it's really challenging. And I'm like, sometimes like, I really think I want to learn Arabic just so I can like understand and read Quran the way it's really written, not translated. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to ask you, do you feel like when you read it, in both languages that that we lose something if it's translated in another language yeah uh, absolutely you. absolutely where do you th well, uh, take a guess where am i from i mean uh, you're not gonna <laughs> i think you just yeah no <laughs> um i i really don't know i think you just mentioned it sorry but um i are you born in usa <laughs> no, no no i was i was born in pakistan so, in Pakistan. Oh, yeah, so, okay. So essentially, I'm I'm not I'm not a native Arab. Uh, I learned all my Arabic, you know, in my my adult life, and in fact, one of my Arabic teachers said, "All right, you'll probably need about 14 years to become uh, to become fluent," and wow. that's studying full time. So I'm I'm not anywhere close to being fluent. But uh, to answer your question, yeah, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. That the Arabic has all kinds of shades that you know different translations of English, you know, can try to put together. Yeah, and it's a very rich language. I have a friend, she's a professor of Arabic, and mm -hmm. I mean, <clears throat> she's actually Croatian, uh, but she speaks and teaching like over 35 years. And when she reads, she said like, really, it's sometimes so hard to translate because she speaks Arabic, like she can understand. And when she translates, she kind of tried to break it down. And it's just mm -hmm. some things really sound different. And mm -hmm. that's what she said. I, so thank you so much for, for breaking this down for us because it really has, I understand personally better, like yeah, way more stuff and, 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 and I'm getting closer to meanings, you know, because sometimes we do think that we understood certain ayahs and surahs, but then you like read it next time and you're just like, oh, this is sound a little different now. Because mm -hmm. I think of course, experiences and knowledge and everything else, like, like we're growing every day and year so I definitely do think it, it changed also how we do see um, when we read Quran and, 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 the, and, and the messages from uh, the Prophet uh, Muhammad mm -hmm. thank you so much absolutely hey Summer did you want to make any comments on that yeah I did I did so I'm I'm a native Arabic speaker I was born and raised in Saudi and a few observations around that like I feel like a, I do feel like there's a worship aspect and there's meanings that you know it's different reading it in Arabic but I also have seen and experienced a lot of people who don't speak Arabic have a connection, I feel like, with Allah and with the Quran, that's be, even if they were illiterate. So I remember I had a Somali friend who does not speak Arabic, and even when we'd pray and the Imam would read Quran, she would be in tears. 
And I understand what he's saying linguistically, but I feel like I didn't have that connection at the time. So I felt like, I feel like everybody has and is entitled and has a direct connection with the Quran and Allah without any barriers of language. Of course, I think there is a different understanding, of course, and worship connection to even speak it in the language that it came in. And also my husband, like he's been Muslim for maybe like formally for four years. Sure. And sometimes he only reads English and he'll tell me like, oh, he's like, it's like, I love this verse. You know, it'll be in English. And he'll say like how Allah says this and this and in Anglo. And I'm like, wow, I've been reading this my whole life multiple times every year in Arabic. And I never even captured that understanding. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I, I, feel, Michelle, I feel like that intention of even putting the effort of trying to understand it and what's in your heart of even desiring that, I feel like you already have the installed software or like mm -hmm. hardware. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Any other questions or thoughts? Nothing else? Okay, we'll stop right here, inshallah. Uh, tomorrow we will get into the story of origins. And so either we will finish up probably on Sunday or Monday, most likely, inshallah. Okay. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma glory to Allah wa bihamdika praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu Allah ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka. We seek your forgiveness. And we turn to you. Okay. May Allah tell you all, inshallah. And we'll see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.